Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Good morning. I'm Karen Moscow, along with Tom Keen and Michael McKee, and the opening bell brought to you by SEI. Today's competitive marketplace requires asset managers to become more operationally adept. Imagine transforming your business with SEI's global platform at SEIC.com slash IMS. And stocks are higher at the open. The S&P 500 up to tenths percent or three points to 2069. Dow Jones Industrial Average up to tenths percent or 29 points to 17,805. The Nasdaq's up to tenths percent or nine points to 4784. Ten-year Treasury down 132nd. The yield 1.83 percent. Yield on the two-year 0.78 percent. NYMEX crude oil down half percent or 21 cents to 45.71 a barrel. COMEX gold up half percent or six dollars ninety cents to 12.9740 an ounce. The euro, $1.1481. The yen, 106.65. Tom and Mike. Karen Moscow, thank you very much. Well, after tomorrow, it may be, for all intents and purposes, over. We can turn off the political campaign for at least a couple of months. The Indiana primary, uh, Donald Trump can't get enough delegates to actually claim the title, claim, claim the first ballot nomination, but he will get so close that it's almost impossible for him not to. Hillary Clinton, mm. I think, can, with the superdelegates, get to that level. So uh, then it's on. Trump versus Clinton. Wendy Schiller is a professor uh, of political science and public policy at Brown University, and she's been laughing along with the rest of us at this campaign, uh, and now it gets serious, Wendy. Oh, yeah, very serious. Um, I think that now, you know, we've been paying so much attention to the nominee and the contest for, the, for the, who the head of the ticket will be. And now we really want to look at the underbelly, right, the infrastructure of each of these parties and see, uh, particularly for the Republicans, will that infrastructure really cohere and get into gear? And it's not just the elites in terms of endorsements, although that's really important. It's on the ground. It's state party chairs. It's county party chairs. It's um, the, raising the kind of money you need for sort of micro-targeting, all the kinds of things that we've seen Obama and somewhat Romney and the RNC in 2012 get better and better at. Those those are the kinds of things that win the general election. So I think that's what we have to start watching. For example, will elected incumbent GOP people go to the, con- uh, the convention? So I'm wondering if Kelly Ayotte in New Hampshire or Pat Toomey in Pennsylvania, both two senators who are up for re-election, will they sort of say, no, we have to stay home and campaign, or are they going to go to the election, to, to the convention? When you start seeing a lot of incumbent Republicans not attending the convention, then you realize that the, the party itself is going to have some real problems in November. It, yeah, that seems to be the general consensus, but I guess the, the Trump people's Re, uh, response to that is everybody has underestimated the man throughout the Republican nominating process, so why can't he do uh, to the rest of the country what he has done to the Republican Party? Because the dynamics of winning the general election, I'm not, I'm not discounting that Trump can peel away some uh, Democratic voters, particularly uh, he won big in Rhode Island, for example, a blue-collar kind of union state among Republicans. So I'm not uh, disputing that he can win more votes in places like Michigan, like Indiana, like Illinois, like Ohio. Yeah. But, but 
you need to win the election with a whole mess uh, organization. It's not just giving speeches to rallies and hoping people decide to show up and vote for you on election day. So the question for Trump is, how does he translate his national charisma uh, among his avid supporters into a willingness right. to really elect him? And Professor Schiller, and it's great to talk to you with a, with a in the tr- in the trenches idea of you teaching at Brown University. I was really taken aback by what you didn't see at the White House Correspondents' Dinner off camera. And that was a Secretary Kerry working the room, uh, Vanessa Kerry's daughter sitting with us at, with our Marty Schenker at our Bloomberg table. Uh, and uh, Vice President Biden, as he always does, working the scene. There's no Republican equivalent in Washington. And it takes me back to Michael Holt's iconic book on the American Whig Party. Let me cut to the chase, and this is um, from um, uh, Chuck Todd at NBCU. There's a joke every time he mentions the Whig Party, they have shots of of whiskey over at NBC. Is this the American Whig Party? Is Michael Holt's American Whig Party happening right now? It's amazing because a few people have come up to me in the last two weeks or three weeks and made that very analogy. Um, And so I think what you're seeing is a party that tied itself to a particular ideology and a particular strategy like the Whigs, and then the country changed out from under them. And they didn't adapt the party policy and the strategy. And that's what's happening to the Republicans now. Change is happening faster than any of us can imagine socially on the ground in terms of public opinion, in terms of attitudes. And change is hard for some people. There's no question about that. But the party itself has to adapt. And that's what the Whigs did. They just simply did not adapt to the underlying, you know, fissures or factions in their own party. And they ended up sort of disappearing. I don't think that's going to happen to the Republican Party. I think you've got a few very talented, smart people. I think Paul Ryan still is somewhat the future of the unified Republican Party moving forward. The question is, can he produce anything that people can consume as an actual policy output from the Republican Party? Where's their Henry Clay? Well, you know, I think in this day and age of media celebrity, right, because Donald Trump is doing so well, we need one person who's going to really take us to the promised land in a party. But I'm not sure that's the way parties work anymore. And I think the the country and the government is so big and so complicated that what we're seeing now is people want a government that functions, not necessarily a really huge government, not the government the Democrats have necessarily delivered, but they don't want a government that does nothing. And the Republicans are paying the price for their obstructionism. It was an electoral strategy that worked really well to incite their conservative base and the Tea Party and win elections, but now they're not governing, and people are finally paying attention to that. Michael, I just put out on Twitter, American Whig Party, Michael Holt's epic. It's (laughs) it's 900 pages. Wendy Wendy gives it over the two-week Christmas break at Brown. Here, read this book over uh, over Christmas. (laughs) Well, it raises a question, Wendy, of... uh, if the if if the Republican Party were to adapt in a way that the Whig Party did not, what would they adapt to? What would they stand for? Which wing of the party would be predominant? Well, right now, I mean, I think this is what the biggest test of November will show is you've got a whole different demographic electorate. It is not 1980. It is not, you know, the Reagan election versus Carter and John Anderson. This is not the demographic anymore. And the increasingly large numbers, uh, there's just a statistic out that the millennials will now replace the baby boomers as the largest populated, you know, category of people. And their attitudes are different about what they want from government. So the Republicans have to say, listen, we're going to do it better and smarter and smaller and more efficiently. 
That's what we're going to do. We're going to stay out of your private life, and we're basically going to try to make government use your tax dollars wisely. That, to me, would be something that would appeal to the millennials. And certainly Latinos are um, aligned with the Democratic Party on immigration, but also tend to be somewhat conservative in other realms. So I think you could craft a policy. And I think you'd like, for example, like Jeff Flake from Arizona, represents right. kind of the future of the party, Paul Ryan. There are plenty of people I think you can get out there. The question is you have to deliver a product. And right now they're delivering no product. Right. Uh, very quickly here, not enough time. We'll have you back on, Professor yep. Schiller. How, where did – oh, two blocks, excuse me. Again, John Tucker, can you be sure the pina colada – next time don't get it with the umbrella Wendy, in sorry. the drink. Yeah. It's, I'm just back, uh, it's uh, just Professor back Schiller from the – It's just back from You broke that bottle of mine or you, <laughs> you didn't just, yeah. drink it? Right, uh, uh, Professor Schiller, well, let's come back because I got a question on losing gracefully, on exiting gracefully. It's an art that there used to be, and, and Mike, it seems to have, like, well, evaporated. Yeah. We don't when, fold when, our tent and go home. Wendy Schiller with us at Brown University, and we'll continue this uh, discussion if I can keep my head screwed on on a Monday. Jobs Week, uh, Jobs Week uh, here, and on Friday we'll have our usual esteemed guests as we consider the American economy. Dow Green on the screen, up 45. The VIX, 15.79. All right, now it's time to check in with Michael Barr and get the latest world and national headlines. Michael. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. Republican presidential frontrunner Donald Trump hopes to give the virtual knockout blow to rivals Ted Cruz and John Kasich in tomorrow's Indiana primary. Trump can't win enough votes to clinch the nomination, but he can pad his lead with a strong showing in Indiana. Trump now has his sights set on Democratic rival Hillary Clinton, who once again said she would have very little support if she weren't a woman. She's playing the woman's card, and I watch her speeches, and I watch what she said, and we're right now making a list of many, many times where it's all about her being a woman. And frankly, she doesn't do very well with women. Meanwhile, Hillary Clinton told a crowd last night at the NAACP's Fight for Freedom Fund dinner in Detroit that we cannot let Barack Obama's legacy fall into Donald Trump's hands. Clinton says, we've got some candidates in this race who are trying to divide us, stoke hatred, and incite violence. The governor of Puerto Rico says the U.S. territory will not make nearly $370 million in bond payments due today because it can't do so without cutting essential services. Island officials spent the weekend trying to negotiate a settlement that would have avoided the default, but apparently came up short. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike, Tom? And Michael, thanks so much. On DXY, dollar weaker to 92.84 on the blended dollar index. Yen, 106.64 with Wendy Schiller of Brown University, Bloomberg Surveillance Worldwide. Bloomberg Surveillance is brought to you by Mercedes-Benz. Outstanding offers are in full bloom at your Mercedes-Benz Tri-State dealers. Take advantage of limited-time lease and finance programs on select models this spring season. Visit MBUSA.com for details today. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app. And on your radio, this is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update is brought to you by National Realty. 30% returns on cash and rented real estate. Find them at NRIA.net. U.S. shares are higher following the worst week since February, and emerging market assets retreated as investors pare back higher-risk holdings. 
With many markets across the world closed for holidays, gold is advancing with sovereign bonds. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P 500 up a tenth of a percent, up two points now at 2067. Dow Jones Industrial Average now little changed, up eight points to 17,781. And the Nasdaq's little changed at 47.75. Ten-year Treasury down two thirty seconds. The yield 1.84 percent. The yield on the two-year 0.78 percent. NYMEX crude oil down 1.5% or 69 cents to 45.23 a barrel. COMEX gold is up half percent or $6.30 to 12.9680 an ounce. The euro, $1.1488. The yen, 106.69. Halliburton and Baker Hughes called off their $28 billion merger that faced stiff resistance from regulators in the U.S. and Europe over antitrust concerns. A day after the merger was called off, Baker Hughes said it will buy back shares and debt. With a $3.5 billion breakup fee, it's due this week. The company also said it'll cut costs as it focuses on new products for well drilling and production. It shares up 1% this morning. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, uh, thanks so much. Uh, Walking around the halls of the Hilton in Washington this weekend, Michael McKee, you saw all sorts of brass, the military uh, uh, standing tall and out in force. And I sort of was looking at all the military brass going, who's the VP candidate? Uh, to, to lend luster and aura. And, of course, it goes back to our encyclopedic knowledge of Benjamin Harrison, who was a colonel out of the Civil War, coming brother, ge- ge- of, yes. yeah, general as well. But when in doubt, hire somebody with medals on his chest. Well, uh, whether that's possible or not, well, let's ask Wendy. Uh, Wendy Schiller is <laughs> a professor of political science at Brown University. A story on the front page of the New York Times this weekend said Republicans are running the other way when it comes to uh, the possibility that they could be tapped to be Donald Trump's vice presidential candidate. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that uh, both Trump and Clinton have to basically skew younger. I don't think that's news to anybody. Not that age is a big issue, but when you have uh, candidates that are on the older side, then uh, people are looking for some reassurance, as Romney did with Paul Ryan, and Obama went in the opposite direction with Joe Biden, about balancing that ticket. So skewing younger, I think, is probably pretty obvious for both candidates. And I think you have to figure out what your future is in politics. I mean, Trump is managing to be the nominee, and so I wouldn't be surprised if he goes way outside the box uh, to pick the VP, even though he has said he wants somebody who can handle the legislative heavy lifting to get the things done he wants to get done with Congress. Trump is arguably the most unqualified person ever to run for president. Oh, I, uh, I don't know about that. But you know, well, I wanted to ask you that. Long and rich history in America. I'm not sure that's yeah, where true. where you would put him on the list. Now, part of the problem is is uh, times have changed, and we're not picking people in smoke filled rooms anymore. Um, you know, there are people like Franklin Pierce, and well, you got to put Warren Harding way up there. So, uh, you know, where where would you put him on the list of people uh, who well. Uh, who ran for president. Well, he doesn't have any, you know, government experience, right? So we've had, I mean, uh, especially post-World War II. I mean, before that, it was there was government experience, but it was a bit of a mixed bag. Now, really, most people come through some sort of political elected office line to run for president. 
And, uh, you know, but somebody said to me the other day who's, who admittedly voted for both Obama and Romney, believe it or not, uh, said, in different elections, obviously, said that he thinks Trump can build things. He knows how to build things. He knows how to cut deals. He knows how to get things done. And I think there's a general sense among a lot of people, particularly independents, that government has ceased to function in Washington, and they need somebody who's from the outside, who isn't vested, isn't embedded, isn't entrenched, and will try to actually get things done. And I think that's where the Republicans have to decide, if they want to get out ahead of Trump, what would they get done if he actually got elected? And how do they sell themselves on that message, particularly to independents? Uh, Trump's got a particular base. I don't think he can win the general with the people he's got now. He's got to expand that base somehow. And I think suburban, better educated, uh, better off, and uh, independent voters are really where he has an opportunity if he can tone down and self-discipline, but also if he figures out what the message will be. And he shows no signs of that. I mean, you use an analogy and you say something like China is raping the United States. When you've got 70% in favorables among women, just shows absolute either disregard or a complete lack of self-discipline about how you use the English language. And I think he can't win the general that way. And you, But that's not to say he couldn't win. It's to say he has to figure out what he would actually yeah, but do. The dynamic of what you just carefully stated is you must shift at some point. Yes. When does that shift occur based on your reading of modern presidential history? The shift uh, pretty much occurs the day of or the day after you reach that magic number of delegates, right? Once you know you've got the nomination, and the problem for Trump is even if he gets the number, it's not clear on the first ballot that he's actually going to get the votes. So he's got to get through that first ballot at the convention and win the nomination. And then he shifts, and I I expect him to shift. Uh, But that doesn't mean he'll become more self-disciplined. He can shift the message and what he talks about, but will he go off again and again and keep insulting people? And I think that's – I mean, can he get out of his own way? Well, he – on the talk shows yesterday, he suggested no. It would be the answer to that question because it was all about him uh, accusing Hillary Clinton, horror of horrors, of being a woman. Um, And that's – I can't imagine that's going to play with the majority of people who vote in in this country – but it does suggest this is going to be a very less than edifying campaign. Yes, but again, he has surprised a lot of people. And, uh, you know, he it's possible if the poll numbers actually start to shift and he sees some possibility of winning this election, he might actually contain himself and try to win the election. Let's not forget money. You know, uh, the, all the papers and all the, you know, uh, observers have said that the really wealthy Republican donors are sitting it out now. They're not even giving to Senate campaigns. They're just not giving money. So who's going to pay for this effort to win the White House for Donald Trump? Trump. Donald Trump claims he'll pay for it, but so far he's not spending the money. Okay, that's come up a couple times in the weekend. If that's the case, who will pay to assist Mr. Trump in his national effort? Right. Right, and you need a billion dollars, minimally. And is he going to spend a billion of his own? Where is he going to get that money? I can't figure, where is he going to get that money? Well, he's told everybody he's, you know, I love the line, you know, he's made, he's made 10 billion. Of course, we know he's lost a lot of that 10 billion. So if he's even got assets worth a couple of billion, but that's going to be liquid. 
All right, so who's – and that's what uh, – people who want to watch this election, pay attention to the movement of money, where donors are giving the money, are they taking themselves out of the presidential game and only focusing on Congress, and if that starts to look clear in July after right. the Republican convention, then I think you've got okay. a real challenge to, to because he's got no money. To our national audience, indeed international audience, and many people that do support Mr. Trump in his effort, what does he have to give up in his discourse and platform – to bring in the big hitters who will write and collect the big checks. Misogyny and racism. To put it bluntly, misogyny He has to do a speech where he, can, he recants a lot of what he said. Well, he doesn't even have to recant it. Americans, you know, it's the summertime. If the weather's good, most folks are going to try to go on vacation if they can. So, I mean, I think, you know, a little bit of vacation because we know that the working wages haven't gone up enough and people don't have luxuries. But nonetheless, it's going to be the summertime. People will revisit this election early September. He's got some time to just stop saying the things he says and start saying different things. But if he stops. By September, maybe people will sort of say, oh, he's not that bad. If he's not going to do the wall, then he loses all the people that voted for him. He's a persuasive guy when he wants to be. I'm sure he'll come up with a good explanation. Listen, he shouldn't, I mean, he can't, I don't think he can win Latinos. I think that ship has sailed, not just the wall, not just insulting Mexicans in particular, but also just basically disparaging Latinos right. as a group. I don't think you can get them back. But, well, you know, it's not clear the Republicans could get them back anyway. They voted 74% for Obama in 2012. Here's the, here's the thing. Uh, every fact-checking site out there, that fact checks the politicians on the campaign trail has has said that he is the biggest liar they have ever seen. And wait, you observe politics. I mean, I don't know. Do we want to get into that contest? You know, which right. politician is but, lying? But in other words, other? are the are the American people that dumb that he can completely no, change? Don't say that. Don't say that American people are dumb. People are genuinely frustrated, partially because they have not advanced the way they want to economically, right. or they don't see a future, but partially because they've been told by the Republican Party, per se, and okay. not effectively countered by the Democrats, that government doesn't work, and you're not doing well, and the country's right. in bad shape. Perf- so they're starting to believe it, and we shouldn't be surprised by that. Okay, in the minute that we've got left, David Rothschild of Microsoft has a wonderful effort called Predict Wise out there that sums up all the polling. It shows the Democrats rolling over from a very lofty level to 70% winner and the Republican at 30%, a little bit better than they were doing X number of weeks ago. What does Secretary Clinton not want to do so that gap narrows? What does she need to avoid? That's so much being part of the front runner, isn't it? I think she needs to avoid being pulled too far left uh, at the convention and beforehand to appease Sanders voters. I think she's going to have to find a way to address them and, and their issues of concern, but not sign on to the policies that he's espoused, because those involve raising taxes, those involve big government. I think that's going to get her some, mm-hmm. into some trouble. So she has to say, yeah. I care about the particular issues. His solution is not my solution. Figure out that's her big tricky balancing act right. within the Democrat Party. Wendy Schiller with us. She's chair of the political science department at uh, Brown University, adept at talking the politics of the nation, and for that matter, the Department of Political Science at Brown University as well. Wendy Schiller of Brown. Uh, what a wonderful day it's been. The market up 27. Welcome Bloomberg back. Surveillance.